Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests, one just down the street from me here in Toronto, and another one who's in California beautiful sunny california i'm a little envious because the other day we had snow up here uh ben daniel thank you guys so much for taking the time to jam with me today i really appreciate it thanks jason thanks for having us jason hey guys for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and you know kind of don't know who you guys are how you got started in the business or got your businesses started let's start off with a couple origin stories i think that'd be a cool place to kind of kick this off ben i'm going to start off with you ben how did you get started in the automotive industry yeah so we started garbage in 2004 it was actually my dad and i that started the business uh, prior to that i worked in it as a web developer so kind of having a tech background made it, um, kind of, I guess, easier to, to launch a web marketplace. But uh, at the time, there was AutoTrader in Canada. And there was nobody else. There was no competition. So I looked at the U.S. market, and there was Cars.com and AutoBytel and AutoTrader. And there was you know, some competition and innovation where that wasn't really happening here in Canada. So that's where the idea started from. That was kind of the seed. And from there, it kind of grew into... Um, what Carpages is today, which is one of the biggest uh, auto marketplaces in Canada. I had heard a rumor that a lot of the development happened around a family kitchen table. Is that true? <laughs> That's not far from the truth. <laughs> I heard that there was some heavy, uh, maybe conversations between your yourself, your brother, and your dad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. There still are. I love the fact that it's a real family, you know, uh, set up for you guys. It's so cool. Hey, Daniel, for yourself, how did you get started in the automotive industry? Yeah, so I, I'm pretty far away from automotive. I've always uh, enjoyed uh, buying cars at a dealership, as, as crazy as that might, that might sound. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Uh, did you I say would, you enjoy buying cars at a I dealership? Actually, <laughs> I actually enjoy negotiating deals. So it's like, uh, it's like a thing. I, go, I probably help on average five to 10 uh, friends buy cars almost on a monthly basis, uh, giving them advice and tips and like th things like that. But uh, yeah, I was a consultant uh, for uh, Bain, uh, Bain and Company uh, back in 2011, 2012 time. And our client was actually Cox Automotive. Uh, this was back in the days, uh, 2011, they were still auto trader at Mannheim and we got brought in because they had just acquired the auto Vin solutions, Kelly blue book, you know, the whole nine yards. And we were brought in to do a lot of, uh, the post-merge integration work. So we got to sit, uh, right next to, uh, right on the same floor as, uh, Chip Perry, uh, who used to, uh, lead a uh, moderate trader back then and, and a great friend. And uh, yeah, we I kind of drank out of the fire hose in terms of what the automotive industry uh, meant. And I saw uh, there were a lot of opportunities. I mean, one of the things that Cox tried to do was integrate um, all the solutions that they had purchased. Uh, but yeah, after that, I kind of said, you know what, I think I could do a better job. So started Orbi about uh, five years ago uh, in 2015. Now, Orbi. I'm always curious because I'm always fascinated with how names come about. Where yeah. in the hell did you come up with the name Orby? 
Yes, you know, uh, it's actually a really funny story. The short answer is that I didn't know what the heck I was doing when we first started with the company. So uh, we thought, um, yes, <laughs> and for the record, uh, I thought we were going to do uh, kind of like what Spincar is doing now in terms of 360 videos and, and um, you know, the whole Orbit, you know, Orby. That's how we got the name. And we don't do anything remotely close to that anymore. So there <laughs> you go. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, um, my next question for you is kind of just kind of getting an idea of what your guys' current norm is. Because I'm finding for everybody, it's all slightly different. Um, it can be different from one side of the country to the other. It can be different from one continent to another. So I, I'd love, I'm very curious on what your guys' current norm is, both for yourself personally and for your business. Ben, I'll start with you. What's your current norm look like? Yeah, so it's very different than what it was two months ago. Uh, mm -hmm. we're, uh, I'm, I'm working from home. So we have uh, 28 employees at CarPages. Everybody's you know, working from home. We use uh, tools like Microsoft Teams, Zoom, uh, email, you know, FaceTime, those kinds of things to, uh, to stay connected with each other. But um, I also have three young kids. So I've got three boys all under 10, uh, ages nine, seven, and three, and they're all homeschooling right now. So it's, you know, my, my wife and I are trying to manage a household plus get work done, plus, you know, stay sane at the same time, which, uh, some days is easier than others, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not normal times. It really isn't. I mean, everyone got hit so hard and Ben, I'm with you. I got three yeah. kids under the age of nine at home and um wow boy did i i, I mean i like i thought this was going to be difficult you know just being away from my team and you know not having that face-to-face -face conversation like i do with dealers but wow having three kids at home and doing the homeschooling thing ben I'm, i i feel your pain like it is it is hard like my kid the other day came up to me and asked me a geometry question and i'm like yeah sure i can do this sit down <clears throat> Go ask your mother. I, I, I seriously I had no idea. Um, <laughs> hey, Daniel, for yourself, uh, what does the current norm look like for you and your business? Yeah, so I think the biggest challenge sometimes that I have is, uh, man, the days just kind of blend into each other. And uh, a lot of the times the you truth. wake up on, on Wednesday and you're like, is it Friday? Like, it, it, or, or no, no, you wake up on Friday and you go, oh, it feels like Wednesday still, right? This time just flies by. Um, we've been uh, working from home March 16th. We have uh, 32 employees. And uh, yeah, the, the, the organizational cost of trying to keep in touch with all of your employees has been very uh, difficult. I'm looking at my calendar right now and literally from uh, 11 o'clock my time uh, all the way to 5 p.m., there is literally a meeting every single half hour or on the hour. So uh, trying to kind of keep up with that, uh, I think, is has been uh, pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't have kids uh, yet, but um, I do have a wife, and she was quarantined here with me. But now she is uh, in Germany, uh, oh, wow. so kind of, kind of, uh, kind of going solo. And I, what I've noticed is, um, I don't eat until six p.m. <laughs> a lot of the days. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been. Uh, I got to kind of pace myself a little bit here. <laughs> that's cool but then every look yeah. everything changed so fast i mean uh, you know we, we went through something similar you know during the recession but you know that that was like a six to nine month period when things really start to change i mean this was two weeks two weeks the industry just kind of went, 
and so many changes happen so fast. And I think that's a perfect segue kind of into what the girth of our conversation is going to be about today and just really kind of talking about the new norm. And um, I thought I'd start off with this question, guys, since both of you guys have companies and you're managing teams is, you know, how do you keep your the culture, you know, of your business kind of alive? you know, during this time frame, I'm, I'm kind of finding that some companies do it really well. And then some companies are sticking their head in the sand and putting their fingers in their ears and just kind of wanting to like, just wait until this thing whole blows, blows over. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions of how, you know, as a business, we can maintain our culture, you know, during this time frame. Ben, I'll start with you. Yeah. So one thing that we've been trying to do is have a bi-weekly video call with everybody in the, in the company. And just to give, you know, I'll give some updates on the company, where things are at, um, any news from the industry that I come across, um, but also just to see each other's faces. You know, it's, I think it's important, you know, when you're at home by yourself or with your family and, you know, it's, um, you're, you don't get, you don't get the chance to come to the office and socialize. You've got to have some kind of connection with each other. And we found that, um, just doing a video meeting with everybody on board helps a lot. Um, Apart from that, we, we still celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries uh, just over, you know, Microsoft Teams. We'll, like, post messages or virtual birthday cards for each other. Um, you know, just fun things that uh, kind of add a bit of spice to the day. Um, other than that, though, we, when, when uh, the isolation period started, I guess, at the end of March, and the industry here in Canada kind of shut down, one of the things that we started hearing from dealers was a concern of like, how do they keep selling cars when they're not able to have their doors open? Right. So we had some, we had a lot of internal discussion and what we came up with was an idea um, that we called buy from home. So if you go on our website, you'll see a buy from home banner and all it is, it's a consumer marketing program that creates awareness for consumers that there is an option to buy a car remotely. So in Ontario, and in a lot of provinces in Canada, um, the law allows dealers to sell a car to somebody remotely. So that includes doing at-home test drives, um, signing paperwork digitally, you know, taking delivery of the vehicle, doing financing online, and kind of, you know, kind of uh, what it's done is push dealers towards digital retailing in a way that nothing else has to this point. So I think that uh, when we launched Buy From Home, we got some good PR coverage from it. We had uh, an interview with CTV News. Um, we did a live on-air interview with News Talk 1010 and a few other places. And uh, it was well-received by both the media and dealers that we work with. So we had, when we launched, I think it was April 7th, we had 240 dealers on board with the program. And uh, as of yesterday, we had 750 enrollments from dealers. Wow. So I mean, the, had, that, that's really got to keep the morale of everybody up <laughs> pretty, pretty huge. Yeah. I mean, I think it's been really good for, um, for our team at Carpage. It's just, you know, we've been really busy over the last few weeks um, or last, I guess, month and, and a bit uh, working on our buy from home program. It's given, given us a focus to, uh, to kind of tackle during this downtime, but it's also been good for our customers just to see, to show them that we're, you know, working hard, even when things are slow. And we're being creative to figure out how do we continue to help our customers when things are uh, not normal. 
Well, and, and I feel like that's what we have to do as business leaders, right? Um, you know, we have to get creative and uh, we have to stay focused. And I think it's a great way to kind of keep our team's culture and kind of keep everybody motivated if there is something, you know, that they can truly focus on and continue to work towards. And, and Ben, your, your program helped that in a huge way. Um, but I think anybody out there that, you know, you know, struggling a little bit more, you know, having something that everyone can truly focus on can make a big difference. Hey, Daniel, for yourself, you know, how do you keep your company's kind of culture alive and motivated, you know, kind of during this time frame? Yeah, so uh, definitely uh, a lot of the things that Ben talked about in terms of uh, staying in touch uh, for the first time ever in our, for our company's history, at least uh, uh, in the beginning, we almost had a bi-weekly meeting the whole team just getting on on chat because you know we just wanted to make sure that we're aligned. We don't do that anymore, um, but yeah, I think it's it's uh, trying to get a lot of uh, FaceTime with people. And uh, we did a uh, cool event about two weeks ago where we did like uh, online scribble, and then we delivered every employee a boba, uh, which is uh, kind of this Asian drink. I don't know if you guys know, oh, yeah, uh, but it's, it's like pretty popular in California. <laughs> Um, so we did that, which was pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, we got some pretty good uh, social media posts out of it. But um, yeah, also, I think um, with COVID-19, it's been a time where we also got to say, hey, are there things that are not working that we want to change, right? Um, everything from, you know, <clears throat> initiatives that, that we bring on to kind of even cultural things where uh, everything, you know, when business is normal uh, or or it, it's it's you don't have these kind of uh, moment of crisis you know it's really hard to change things but uh, everything is up for discussion and and that's probably one of the reasons why uh, you know auto dealers both uh, you know I'm sure in Canada and also in the U.S. where you know they started adopting kind of more of this digital retailing buy online attitude because hey you have a conversation with the sales guy you're like hey you either have your job. I have to furlough you or you're going to start making phone calls, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, do, do deals online. And, and it's a, it's a much easier discussion to have because there are a lot of these kind of preconceived notions about what's acceptable and not literally got thrown out the door. And I thought it was a great opportunity for our team. Um, we also launched a, a COVID-19 essentials marketing kit for, um, you know, any dealer to, to download uh, in, in, in the U.S. Uh, for any automotive dealer free of charge. And that was a pretty big hit and our team got around it. But yeah, it's uh, I kind of look at this period and I think for a lot of our dealers too as a, a moment where you can reinvent yourself and, uh, and uh, take a lot of opportunities of, and do things that you normally couldn't do in a, in a non-pandemic uh, time. Well, you know what, and, and it's true. Reinventing ourselves is kind of what's necessary. You know, you know, I I don't think we need to do it just because it's a good idea. As an industry, we have to re kind of invent our our efforts and our processes because the customer now demands it. I mean, it's it's been a fundamental shift for us. I mean, I kind of use this analogy, and I've used it several times, but it just makes so much sense. I mean, why would I ever walk into a grocery store again? I, ben, you know, that's like you had yeah, three kids. Like it was, what the hell was I thinking? Even walking into a grocery store, like, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> like, it's crazy. It's like, it's like literally I have to plan it out like a tactical optics, you know, or an ops team where it's like, okay, guys, we're going in, we're going sneaky, we're going for this and we got to move on. You know, now it's like, I just go online. I just, boop, 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 you know, and it's like, 
I pull up to the grocery store, yeah. flip open the hatch, they throw it in, I drive off. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, even Uber Eats. I used to be, you know, use Uber Eats, you know, maybe a couple times, you know, a month or something like that. I hate to say it, but it's almost every other day now where I'm just going, yeah. Or, you know, it's like, oh, crap, I'm out of tape and pencils and staples. Like, okay, you know, let me jump on one of those go-to apps and someone will go with staples for me and pick this stuff up. Like, as it, it, the customer is changing and getting so used to and adapting to this type of frictionless, you know, process as an industry, you know, I think the customers are looking at us, looking at us as an industry and going, hey, I think you need to do the exact same, you know? So I'd like to kind of get your guys' thoughts and opinions on this as far as like how the sales process for dealerships is going to play out, you know, over the next three, six or 12 months. Ben, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, consumers behavior has changed. And I think with the automotive industry, you know, I think what's going to drive digital retailing and online sales is consumer behavior. It's not going to be something that the dealers decide to do on their own without consumer support. But, you know, as people um, switch or, you know, adapt more and more the idea of buying things online, everything from groceries to, you know, office supplies to whatever, um, the automotive industry is kind of the last beast to tackle in a sense, right? I mean, the idea of buying a car without going to a dealership um, is fairly new. I mean, if you look at Carvana or something like that, like they've been doing it for a few years, but in Canada, it's even um, more obscure than it is in the US. And I think that, uh, you know, it's going to, COVID 19 has kind of pushed consumers to look for options uh, when buying cars, right? So people that need a car right now, if you're, um, you know, a frontline worker and you're terrified of taking the bus anymore and you want to buy a car, how do you do it when you can't go to a dealership? Um, you know, Ontario dealers are open now by appointment only. So you can, you can go into the dealership, but um, you know, I think there's going to be people that choose not to. And if there are options to buy online, um, I think now, and even in the future, that's going to become more and more of a preference. Well, you know, even if they don't buy it all online, it's really limiting the amount of time I have to spend in that physical location. You know, like I just um, I just placed an order with Canadian Tire, uh, which is for us is kind of like Daniel. It's kind of like a Walmart, you know, I've just got a little bit of everything, yeah. you know. So I just I placed the order and I just showed up. I showed them my number, my name, and they just brought it out and I just tap paid for it and went off. So it's like my, my I did have to physically go and I actually don't I'll be honest with you. I didn't mind driving. You know, I have been in the house. I haven't wore shoes, guys, for two weeks. Okay, so like the, the fact that I could actually go out and uh, drive for you know ten minutes, I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of nice. Put the windows down, crank up the radio. It's like this is cool. But then I didn't have to go in and stand in line with you know sixty other people to get my purchase. You know, I just really was able to pull up, tap, and kind of you know drive off at that point. So I, I think what it is even for dealers is that it it may not be a hundred percent online, but like how much of it can I do? Where I don't have to spend that three and a half hours, you know, inside of a dealership doing, you know, Daniel. I know you love doing negotiations, so I'm I'm curious to get your mm -hmm. kind of thought on this. I mean, w would you be interested in doing a majority, if not all, negotiations, you know, online before you even showed up to the dealership? Daniel, how do you see, you know, kind of that sales process yeah. playing out? 
Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 really interesting that you actually say sales process, and and that's what it is: process over tools. Uh, and what do I mean by that is a lot of the times, uh, you know, we think a digital retailing tool uh, is an answer to our ailing needs, but it's just kind of like uh, you know somebody who's not really great at sports gets new equipment. You know, it's the, it's a hardware issue more than anything else, right? So. Um, there's, I, I, I agree with you. There, there's a couple of uh, kind of key concepts that I have. Um, I, I feel that consumer behavior is changing uh, in a way where they can't go to the dealership, right? And, and, and potentially uh, because they get used to kind of doing things at home, virtually, on the phone or whatever, uh, you know, that might actually continue on. But there is this other aspect of behavior uh, with someone like me where, man, if I don't, if I don't call ten dealers and try to negotiate a best deal for myself, you know, and, and unless if we become all a one price, deal, you know, kind of uh, car sales environment uh, that some of the other brands might have, but unless if we get there, you are still going to have people who want to talk or negotiate a deal. Now it might not be in person; um, it could be over the phone, it could be text or or whatever uh, kind of medium, um, but. I think the, the the key thing for dealers to understand is that, you know, digi- like tools like digital retailing is not kind of your whole answer. The holistic approach you need to take is around what you said, friction, right? Like, how do I reduce the amount of friction for my customer, whether he or she wants to come to my store or just spend five minutes at the, at the dealership or not come at all? And then pro- pro- properly identifying, you know, what they want in terms of the engage- engagement level you have. And honestly, after that, having a great process to take care of them. And all you really need to digital retail in these days is, is a website and a, and a phone, right? And every dealership has that. So uh, I think that's kind of the, the key parts. And then the, the ones that have been successful, in, in, you know, we, we work with over 800 dealerships in the U.S. And the dealerships that have been successful that I've seen are the ones that have really just rolled up their sleeves and they're like, okay, our BDC department's gone. My GSM is now making phone calls on leads if they have to, right? Like we'll figure out a way to deliver a vehicle and it just accelerates a lot of the the, the learning in, in a short period of time. And the ones that were ad- able to adapt, create a better process, uh, you know, that's, that's based on the current environment, I think have been very successful um, during this time. No, I, I'm with you, Daniel. I mean, I, I honestly feel like we're going to have to process our way to profitability. You know, look, look at it this way. Mm. Look, for this last year, it was a flat year for us as an industry. But the five years before that, you know, it was, we had increases quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. I mean, we came off of one of the biggest increases in automotive industry, you know, in, in a very long time. And then this last year, we kind of flattened out. And now I'm finding, you know, that we're actually having to take time. Like we actually have to create process. We, you know, it is, we can't half-ass it. I, I honestly, I think for the last five years, there have been a lot of dealerships out there have been able to half-ass their operations and still do have, you know, decent for themselves. You know, I think we're going to come into a time frame that we can't do that anymore. We, we cannot half-ass it. We, we have to have good, solid, documented processes so that our customers feel confident in those documented processes that they'll want to come in and ultimately do business with us. Now, that's actually kind of a good segue into my next question for you guys is, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've been reading, you know, about half a dozen publications right now that are telling this 
dark and gloomy story of what the automotive industry is going to look like in the next 12 months and how we're better get ready for a crash. Everything's dropping. We're all falling off of an edge, you know, and sales are going to be down 30, 40, 50, 60%. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I don't necessarily see that happening. I mean, you guys both kind of mentioned, you know, earlier, you know, about uh, public transit. You know, I mean, here, here where we are in Canada, where we are just in, here in Ontario, um, you know, one and a half million people use public transit. Well, how many of those really want to get back into a bus or train? I mean, in California, public transit is huge as well. And then, I'm, and then I count that and I add that to the, the group of people that were in market for a car before this all happened. And then all the lease returns that are coming off of it, you know, and sh ride sharing. I mean, hey, guys, real quick. Either one of you going to jump in the back of a car, as back of a stranger's car anytime soon? Yeah. No, I, I'm not. So I, I, you know, I'm reading these publications that are all claiming 40, 50, 60% drops. And I'm looking at it going, I'm like, you guys are crazy. Like, I actually think we're going to, you know, when, when the governments start telling us we can pop our heads out of our houses and start exploring a bit more than we are right now, I, I actually see an increase. But I want to get both you guys' thoughts, opinions on this. And Ben, I'll start with you because I think, you know, where you are as far as having an online marketplace, you're seeing some of those analytics right now. So I'm curious what you see and what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, so I think that um, obviously because of the shutdown, there's a lot of people that are staying home and not going out, not driving as much as they did before. But that also means that there's a lot of pent up demand for vehicles, right? So I think once that, once the uh, lockdowns continue to ease up more and people start getting out more, there are going to be car buyers that, you know, they've been waiting for the last few months to, to make that purchase. And now um, there's going to be an opportunity for them to get out and, and do that, but also to get a, probably a good deal on a car. Like I've, I've heard stories of manufacturers that are offering um, really good incentives at the OEM level on new vehicles. But also, you know, if you think about the number of vehicles that are sitting at auctions right now, um, you know, if those cars are not moving, they're going to have to be discounted to get them flowing again. And I think that uh, anybody that's going to be in the market for a new used car should be able to get a, a pretty good deal. Hey, Daniel, for yourself, you know, actually, Ben, real quick. Um, you know, I'm actually concerned with a lot of the cars that are sitting out there. You know, being being a dealer principal myself, you know, it's like lot rot is a real thing. Mm. You know, a, a car sits there long enough. Like, I just wonder how many dealerships used inventory sitting there. And this goes any longer. How many of those are all going to need new brake pads? They're all going to have yeah. like flat patches mm. on the tires. Like, I'm actually concerned as an industry from that profitability perspective is that our reconditioning expenses against these vehicles are just going to go up because the cars have been sitting there, you know, for months on end. Um, anyways, right. I digress, but it's just something I was thinking of while you were talking there. Uh, Daniel, for yourself, you know, what are your thoughts as far as these publications claiming 40, 50, 60% losses, you know, in the next, over the yeah. next couple months? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think there's there's kind of like I, I look at things in like three categories. Uh, there's there's this behavioral piece, right, um, uh, which was dictated by COVID nineteen recently. So that definitely brought a lot of uh, uh, declines in year over year sales, uh, 60 percent, depending on kind of what the brand brand was or what the car was. And then there is this other behavioral trend I, I think you're talking about, Jason, in terms of 
kind of like, hey, are you know, long term, are people going to do ride sharing less? Is there pent up demand? How is the used car market? Right, like there, there is kind of that factor, and I think the the third factor is essentially economic, right? So we had this kind of shutdown where we literally turned the economy off. Uh, you know, for a couple of months, like, what is that going to lead to in terms of, uh, you know, consumer confidence to the ability to, to buy a car to being able to make rent payments, people's wealth, uh, potentially getting wiped out. And that all will lead to, a, you know, that, that will all affect kind of car sales, right? So the, the way I look at it is like, honestly, I, I don't know. I really, I, I think nobody knows. <laughs> like, we've never had a situation like this That's so true. since 1918. And cars, I, I don't think were that big of a thing back then. And, and no, the closest so thing is the different. 80s. That's about the biggest thing is when we yeah, had the gas crisis that's in the right. 80s. Right. So the way I look at it is, hey, you know, we are kind of coming into a time of uncertainty. And the ones that are going to be successful are the ones that are able to make adjustments and adapt quickly. Like for, for every dealer that I, that I talk to, you know, I'm like, Hey, they're like, Hey, what should I do? Well, let's take a look at now, but then tomorrow it might be different. Uh, we do uh, digital marketing for a lot of our dealership clients. And, you know, thankfully we, we have marketing automation built in to kind of help make it all those adjustments, but it's more like what's true today can be completely different tomorrow, right? And and sitting here spending too much time trying to figure out what's going to happen also I think is it's kind of the you know the you want to put less focus on that and try to create a process where you can really adapt to change. I think is going to be uh, key in the next uh, couple of years probably because you never know, right? Like COVID nineteen could come back. Who knows? I I, I don't know. Like I'm not no, going to sit true. here and, and tell you, you know, like. Uh, and, and a lot of people are saying, uh, or you see uh, in news publications that in, in uh, October, COVID-19 might come back with a bang or half as bad. Like, I don't know. And we might have stay-at-home orders again. Um, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think having a process to, to tackle those changes, I think is going to be really important. Now, I'm with you. I think process and technology is really going to be the key elements that's going to be, you know, moving us forward and ensure that we, you know, we are able to consistently output some level of profitability. Now, when I say process and technology, and Daniel, you actually mentioned this a little earlier, mm -hmm. it's that that process needs to be defined first. And once that process is defined, you work backwards towards the technology so that the technology supports the process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I find I'm with you, Daniel, I find, you know, too many times. I talk to dealers and they look at technology as being like a, you know, a quick diet pill or an easy button or the 12, 12 minute abs. You know, it's like, just, just, just do this and, you know, you'll have a Wait, six pack. Exist? Like, no, trust me. If they, I would know if they did. They, they do not. Okay. I tried. It doesn't happen. There's no such thing as 12 minute freaking abs. Um, but <laughs> But because of that, and because of us having to process the crap out of everything, there's there's been kind of this consistent theme I'm getting from a lot of the dealers I'm talking to, and I'm curious to your guys' thoughts on this, is, you know, and Daniel, you actually mentioned this a little earlier, everyone's having to do a lot more with a lot less right now. You know, BDC's gone, like you said. You know, you got your general manager in this, you got your sales manager doing that, you got salespeople being service advisors and salespeople all at the exact same time. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm curious, you know, if you guys have had some of these conversations with dealers, but, you know, I'm getting some of my dealers, you know, friends that are like, 
I don't know, man, like I'm doing a lot with a little right now, you know, from a profitability perspective, I'm actually, yes, my revenue's down. All right. Transactions are down, volume's down, but from a profitability perspective, I'm actually up, you know? So it's like, do I really need to have such large teams, you know, you know, to do this? Does, do I need a BDC, a salesperson, a sales manager, FNN, FNI manager, just to complete a transaction? People are having these questions. So I'm kind of curious what your guys' thoughts are is, you know, how do you guys kind of see a dealership's, you know, structure, you know, changing, you know, when we get into that new norm? Ben, I'll start with you. And then Daniel, will ask you the same question. Yeah. So one dealer I'm thinking of that I talked to recently um, was kind of forced to lay off some staff. And, you know, as a result, the sales managers and the GMs are kind of picking up the slack and doing a lot more than they normally would. So I think that, you know, that might be a common scenario for the short term. Long term, I'm not sure how sustainable that is. I mean, um, you know, when you have two roles that you're doing or one and a half roles that you're doing and you're instead of, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, you're doing 60, 70 hours a week. How long can you sustain that for? Uh, so I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit of an unknown. Um, you know, once, once things do come back to some kind of normal, um, you know, how, how much elasticity, I guess, is there in, um, in the dealership um, staff headcount? You know, are they going to be bringing back those missing heads or, you know, are people going to be um, okay working longer hours and doing more? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's a good question. I mean, like I, I know some salespeople that are working uh, remotely. So they spend a, a day or two in the dealership and then three days at home. And uh, funny thing is they're being more productive now than they've ever have in the past. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think there's going to be some changes. Daniel, what's your thoughts on how the structure yeah. of our of dealerships will kind of change moving mm -hmm. into the new norm? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I think I think a time like this, you kind of realize, you know, when you, when you have growth, you get a little sloppy, right? Because you're like, Hey, just throw more money at it. Throw more people at it. We sold more cars. Hey, we weren't profitable, but you know, like we got, we got our step incentives and we we're number, number three, four dealer in the nation. And, and, you know, that's kind of a celebration. And while you do that, I think you kind of bring in a decent amount of inefficiencies. So uh, in a period of uh, a contractionary period like this, where you could kind of go in and say, hey, do I really need three people doing kind of the same job, right? So um, I think in that sense, things will um, kind of organize itself in some ways where a lot of the dealerships might shed some of the positions that they might um, have had before COVID-19 and they might even create new positions that they feel like are now necessary. Maybe people who, you know, deliver vehicles, <laughs> you know, for- uh, That's a very that, good That's point. all they do. All right. So I think uh, it, there are going to be some shifts. Um, I mean, even with our company. Uh, so I, I don't know how Canada was, but the U.S. was just just a mess in terms of how policy. Uh, I'll save that for. for Trust like me, we, we, it was a, it was a giant mess as well. I mean, everybody was waiting hour by hour <laughs> but, to find um, out what the hell we could do and what the hell we couldn't do. Like, yeah, hey, we're, we're there with you. Yeah. And, and um, you know, we, we actually had to furlough uh, a few people uh, from our company. Um, and and I hope uh, our employees, aren't, they'll probably listen to this. But hey, we, we kind of didn't miss a beat. OK, <laughs> we didn't. And, and was it hard? Yes. Um, are we, did we already hire them back? Yes. 
but at the same time, we kind of uh, also had a lot of discussions with our employees saying like, hey, you know, when you come back, you're going to have to step up a little bit here. You know, it's just, it's just, uh, and, and being frank with them. And, and I, I just feel like uh, this is a great opportunity to, to do that, even at the dealership and just question everything. Hey, do we need that position? How can we get it better without trying to offend anybody or getting offended by it because your position is no longer relevant? Like that really doesn't matter. What it is, is trying to figure out what is the most efficient way to run things? Uh, and maybe there's a very American side of, of like just capitalistic thing. No, I, I'm uh, with that, you, that, though. <laughs> that we are, but, but that, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And I think dealership organizations will, will be able to, the ones that go, hey, well, like, what positions do we need? Do we not need? And, and really thinking it through and questioning everything is, is going to be uh, successful coming out of this. Well, I, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned during this time frame. I mean, look, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, the seriousness of the situation and, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the hundreds of thousands of millions of people have had real hard, hard impact, you know, during this time frame. But I, I think there are lessons to be learned. And um, actually, that's a great question. That's, I think, a good good question to ask both you guys is, you know, for dealerships, what you what do you think are some of the most vital lessons that need to be learned, you know, right now during this time? Ben, I'll start with you. I think one of the obvious ones is that dealers just need to learn how to be a bit more flexible than they have been in the past. Um, you know, when people are asking for new ways to buy a car, uh, dealers just need to be able to learn how to how to accommodate those consumers. So um, things like you know remote test drives or at home test drives, vehicle deliveries, you know sanitizing vehicle services, that kind of thing. It's it's a new way of doing things, and I think um, with COVID nineteen, it's it's been kind of the catalyst to uh, to force dealers to figure out how to change and adapt so that um, they can continue serving customers that don't necessarily, you know, have the ability or want to come into the dealership to do business. That's a great point. I'm with you. I mean, I think if, you know, definitely that has to be up there in the top three lessons that, you know, every dealer needs to learn is that, you know, moving forward, the customer needs to be more at the mm-hmm. core of our both our sales and service process. I mean, guys, let's let's admit it. As an industry, we've developed out sales and service processes that are good for us as a business. Um, now, you know, with the customers' expectations increasing so high, we we have to put the customer at the center of all those processes. Uh, Daniel, for yourself, I mean, what lessons you know do you think that dealerships really have to take the time to learn right now during this time period? Yeah, I, I think, you know, with, with things going, uh, you know, digital, a lot of the times I, one second, with things, can you guys hear me? Sorry. Um, with things going uh, digital, I think a lot of the times um, we're realizing that digital marketing is actually playing a much bigger role in a lot of dealerships' uh, lives. I mean, traditional marketing is almost non-existent right now. And, uh, it, it, you know, the if you're giving somebody $20,000 a month and say, Hey, go to town and, and get me the best results. That's not going to fly anymore for, for dealerships. Um, I think, uh, the, the, the clients that we've worked with, uh, we've always kind of, uh, asked for this, Hey, 
here's the thing, right? Like we're, we're kind of an extension of, of, of your team in a sense that if your salespeople are, or you have business objectives to meet, uh, whether it's uh, move more used cars, or you got a bunch of uh, 2019 F- F-150s uh, that you need to move or whatever it may be, service, uh, because you don't have your sales department open. If you're not properly communicating that to your uh, digital marketing partners, whoever that may be in terms of how to allocate the budget and things like that, and having a strategy discussion, not once a month after the whole thing's been over, but looking at it almost on a weekly basis and and giving directions and creating that coordination between marketing and sales is almost non-existent in the automotive space. Uh, we've built some technologies to to integrate the CRM and the inventory that that the dealership has and trying to figure out you know, if they have too much of this car and automatically increasing budget and things like that. But there are so many things that just kind of get lost in translation. And and some of the things that we're working on is a lot giving dealerships tools to actually make those changes fast, right? Even without requiring us to be there. I think that's kind of what um, everyone needs to kind of walk away from is that, man, we have, I have to be so much more nimble, especially in digital marketing and be so much more targeted and explicit than just throwing a, a lump sum, sum of cash and then hoping for best results. No, I, I'm with you, Daniel. I mean, I think I think the days of just taking up my manufacturer's ad mat, cutting it and chopping it and just going, yeah. you know, out there from a marketing perspective, is just not acceptable. Um, you know, we have to get beyond what I call this full belly syndrome, where we're constantly talking about what we actually achieve, what but rather talking about what we actually could have achieved if we had a bloody strategy in place. And I think that's a huge lesson for dealerships out there is that strategy is insanely important. You know, it's not enough, you know, three days before the first of the month to say, so what do you guys want to market, you know, this month? Like, like we really have to stop being reactive in our marketing efforts and our operational efforts and be proactive and have a very consistent strategy that we're always going back to and pushing against to ensure it's the right strategy for us in the first place. Well said, Daniel. Thank you. Um, Hey, guys, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time, so that means I get to ask one last question of you before we sign off here. And, of course, this is my favorite question to ask of the day. I prepped you guys before we did this, so I'm going to get some good ones, hopefully. (laughs) Hey, guys. All right, I'm going to start with you, Ben. Here's the question, Ben. What is pissing Ben off? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I think one thing that's uh, quite annoying for me is the fact that when I go to Walmart to buy some printer paper, I have to wear a mask and line up six feet apart from the person in front of me and you know, wait outside to, uh, to get into the store to buy what I need. Um, but I can still go into the store. But... One of my favorite pastime activities is hiking. And I like to take my kids, you know, on the hiking trails around here. There's a lot of good ones, but they're all closed. I can't go, you know, I could go to Walmart and uh, shop with hundreds of people, but I can't go on a hiking trail where, you know, there's probably nobody else anyway. So, the good um, point. Yeah, that would be uh, my thing. Uh, I'm with you on that one. That, that that would piss me off. It's kind of, it's weird. You're right. I mean, I can go and stand in line with 60 people, but I can't walk, you know, the trails that are next to my house. That's, it's a weird one. Hey, Daniel, for yourself, what is pissing Daniel Kim off? Hey, uh, Jason, can you hear me okay? Do I sound okay? Okay, you're cutting off a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah um, gosh, uh, I don't know, like with the U.S., uh, so kind of if you look at 
Yeah, the, the, the whole policy around uh, distributing wealth uh, to, like, I mean, we, we printed so much money in the U.S. Uh, over the last uh, couple of months. Um, and then I really appreciate the efforts that, um, you know, our, our government is trying to really figure things out. But man, like, think about stuff a little bit. For example, if you look at uh, in California, you get $450 a week uh, for unemployment. If you add another, federally, they're adding another $600. There's only a 10% tax on it. So effectively, you're making, uh, you know, somewhere around like $1,000 a month, uh, a week, and then multiply that by four, that's four grand. That's equivalent to a $6,000 gross salary. So, hey, at least with our employees, they all came back, but... Man, if, 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 and, and, and you give this thing called a PPP loan to, to people and they have to use it immediately, we hire the employees back, but they only get eight weeks. And, and I'm not talking about my business because like, hey, we're, we're open, but like for restaurants, what, they're going to bring those people back for eight weeks and then figure out that the stay-at-home orders are not done. So like, what are they going to do, fire them again? Or, or you ask the employees to come back. Do you think they're going to come back because they're going to get paid only like 60% of what they're getting for unemployment, right? So there's there's so many things that I look at and I go, I understand we had to like kind of, everybody was flying at the seat of their pants, but doing a little bit of thinking and then trying to figure out, and, and then they get mad at these big corporations like Shake Shack and Ash, like the Ashford Hotels or, or whatever. And I'm like, wait, you guys approved them in the first place. They qualified based on the 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 the, the policy that you wrote. So why are you blaming Big businesses, I would have done the same thing if I was a public corporation and I would I qualify for this loan, right? I need it, right? I'm, I'm, there, there's Ashford or whatever is like they claimed a, like almost a hundred million dollars, and and I'm like, wait a minute, like yeah, their hotels are closed. Well, what would I do in that situation? I would apply for the loans, and but why, then why do they get to be the bad guys versus the Steve Mnuchin? Come on, man, like. Maybe you should have thought this this through a little bit, and now everybody's afraid of getting the PPP loan because they don't think they're gonna get get. And, and it's, it's sad, right? Like the the people who really need it, fucking don't get the the support, and and um, it's really sad, and it just creates a lot of bureaucratic work, billions of dollars to banks that are processing these loans are getting rich. I mean, it's it's. It's um, it's a little bit sad to to see that, and and uh, yeah, that's that's like what what I was pretty pissed off about, and then I moved on. So, no yeah. man, I'm with you, dude. Like, how do we, how do you, how do you dig yourself out of a hole? Well, you you dig a deeper hole. That's that's how you dig yourself out of a hole. I, I guess that's the general consensus with some governments. But no, but to your point though, we're having similar issues up here. I mean, I have some mm. employees right now at dealerships that are like, I'm I'm good. Can I just stay laid off? Like I'm doing, I'm doing fine, you know, with what I'm able to collect and what I'm getting from, you know, from the government. Like they don't want to come back to work. It's like I'll come back to yeah. work and no. well, for what fifteen percent more than what I was making. <laughs> like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now uh, in in Germany, uh, since you know my wife is actually uh, from Germany, that's why she's there right now. She's actually doing her PhD. She has a part time job there and. Uh, it's amazing how they do it. So what they do is they'll give you stay employed and the, and the company pays you and then the government pays a percentage. So it's like 60% is, is like what they're doing right now. We got and something then similar. People, 
people can actually apply for additional assistance based on how much money you have in your bank account, how much money you're making now, additional income you have, and what your expenses are. And they'll give you additional money if you need it, right? So everybody stays employed. Like you're not going to see like this 20% unemployment rate like in the US. And then I'm like, wow, like as, as bureaucratic as Germany is, and, and I'm sure it's hard to get anything done. I'm like, man, they kind of thought things through a little bit more. <laughs> and, it, and it's, and it's uh, just a little bit more. And, and the, the funds are dispersed in a way where, you know, like you, you don't have to like create a new system to apply to something and, and you get shut out. Like we got shut out for PPP loans on round one. Because we try to go through Bank of America. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but like big banks really let people down. And and man, I, I probably wasted at least a week's worth of, of my labor in researching, reaching out to people, making sure that we're in line and all those things. And I'm like, why do I have to do? Why don't you just pay me through the, the sources that I pay you uh, to for you know payroll taxes and things like that? They would just like either give me a credit or something like I, it can't be, I don't know, this, this, uh, this is very I'm with you. It's, and, it's and, very and frustrating. Very right? <laughs> it's very frustrating running a business right now. Hey, that was an awesome rant. Daniel, you rock. Thank you for that. Hey, guys, for everyone out there who's watching and listening right now and would love to connect with you, fine two gentlemen, what is the best way to do so? Ben, I'll start with you. Yeah, so um, I can be emailed at ben at carpages.ca or you can go on LinkedIn and connect with me on there. Um, yeah. Awesome. Hey, uh, Daniel, for yourself, uh, what is the best yes. way to connect with you, sir? Yeah, so you can uh, find me on Twitter at DK Loves Cars uh, or uh, my email is daniel.kim at O R B E E A U T O dot com. Um, and uh, yeah, or come to our website, um, fill out a leave form there. <laughs> That's perfect. Hey guys, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate you guys it. have yourself a good one. Thanks, Jason. <laughs>